Hi everybody, I'm here with Mark Zara. Not Mark Zorro, like the famous Mexican hero, but Mark Zara. And uh, we're here to talk about all things WordPress, all things businessy on Mastermind FM. I'm Donica, uh, Donica from WordSkill and RedPen.com. So, Mark, how you been? I've been quite good, Donica, and you? I've been pretty peachy. I just moved. The last couple of weeks have, have just disappeared because I've been uh, adjusting, readjusting to life in, in Southeast Asia again. I'm back in Chiang Mai. I had a, a hellish flight over here and it always takes me a few weeks, a couple of weeks to, to find my feet. But I seem to be back up and running now. All right, perfect. What's happening in your world? Busy right now with work. I just came back from Gozo myself, which is much closer, tiny island next to us in Malta. Uh-huh. So I had a few days of work there. And now back settled in Malta and getting to work again and settling down here. I saw your pictures on Facebook. I think that's hilarious, by the way, that you live on what many people consider to be a holiday island. And yet you guys have your own little tiny holiday island. It's an actual separate island, is it? Or is it like a peninsula or something? It is, it is. A little island. So, it's, it's tree island. So you palm off uh, Malta proper on the rest of us tourists, but you guys actually go and have your little holidays on Gozo. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so I, I believe we're going to be talking about something quite interesting, quite universal today. We're going to be discussing the whole world of making money in WordPress and in particular for plugin developers. A lot of people, they discover WordPress and before they even learn how to code a damn thing, they are taken by the whole culture. They like the idea of people out there starting their own little companies. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk to you about your experiences as somebody who project manages several plugins and who is very familiar through being an editor on WP Mare with the whole process of people setting up their companies or working for other people's companies and essentially earning a living from WordPress. So let me ask you, first of all, if you had a cousin who's getting into this right now, <laughs> what would you advise him to do? What would be his first steps in earning a living with WordPress? Starting a business from scratch? I was going to ask you, not necessarily starting a business from scratch, but would you advise him to start a business or would you advise him to go and work for somebody else's business? If you're just starting out and you have no experience, go work for somebody else's, learn from them, find a good mentor. Uh, that's what I'll be doing right now with John, basically. And uh, learn from them, learn the trade, mm -hmm. learn exactly how the business works, the different models you can use, the benefits of one over another, the downfalls of others, how to handle every part of the business, be it development support, uh, the more you know, the easier it is to get started and the easier it is to understand exactly what's happening in your business. Well, how good do you have to be before you can actually get that, before you can actually become a, you know, before you'd be good enough to work for somebody else? To be honest, it really depends on you because just speaking for myself, I started out as a content writer with WP Mayer. From there, I got introduced to very basic low-level support on one of our plugins, WP RSS Aggregator. And that's basically where I started to learn the most about the business and about the plugins itself. So I was learning how the business side of it works. I was learning how the development side of it works. I learned how to deal with customers and how to sort of focus your development based on the customer feedback, and the user feedback, rather than just what your thoughts are. And from there, I went on to become lead support, to become team lead. And right now I'm project manager over all the plugins uh, within the company. So it really is step by step. You have to start at the bottom and work your way up. So if you start at the bottom, where are you now on the ladder? Halfway up? <laughs> it depends where you want to end up. So if you want to end up as a CEO of your own company, I'd say probably a bit less than halfway up because I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. I still want to le learn a lot more. I have no plans of doing that myself yet. I'd rather keep working with Jean, learn the business part of things, which is something we're going to be doing even more so now. 
then we'll see from there a few years on the line. And uh, would you say that now you've got a couple of people that you're project managing a couple of people, right? Yes. So would you say that you've attained enough rank now that you can actually uh, be nasty to people? <laughs> well, we're, first of all, we're not nasty, nasty to people as much as possible. And the way we work is not sort of a vertical structure to the business. So we keep everything sort of horizontal. So any support member, any developer, any project manager, any CEO can speak to anyone else at any time. The developers and support still report to me first, but if there's something they want to discuss with Jean, Jean's open there to discuss anything they want. So everyone's on the same level. Although I take certain decisions above someone else, discussions are open, feedback is open. We're constantly gathering feedback from everyone every single week. So it's, it's like on a level playing field. So if, say, somebody makes a really big mistake and it puts you back, you know, a week, mm-hmm. are you allowed to call them a code monkey? <laughs> I guess it depends how long they've been with the company. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll call, okay. If, if I'm comfortable with them enough, I'll do it. Is Jean allowed to call you a code monkey? No, oh. I don't touch code. Okay. I'm not a developer myself, so okay. <laughs> we haven't had that all yet. Right. Okay, now... One of your plugins, or, or actually a couple of your plugins, were being sold through a marketplace, the EDD, that's Easy Digital Downloads Marketplace. And I believe that's all been turned upside down very recently. Correct. So we have three extensions for Easy Digital Downloads, three premium add-ons. Mm-hmm. These are Add to Cart Pop-Up, Checkout Message, and Bookings. And the way this worked was that we would develop these as a third party to EDD. And then we sort of give them to EDD. EDD would sell them through their website. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sales work on a commission basis. And support is handled by EDD. Development is handled by us and in collaboration with EDD whenever we need to. So this is a bit like um, the Apple Store situation where, or, or rather the, um, the App Store situation where developers make a plugin or they make an app and Apple sells it. Apple gets 30%, but they handle all the credit card stuff. They handle all the marketing and, and you as the app developer, you just get your 70%. So was it somewhat like that? Yes, exactly. Right. And they've now decided to stop running that model. Why is that? So the decisions, I think Pippin can speak more clearly about them in a future episode as well on Mastermind. But basically they changed their approach. So now rather than selling... Uh, individual add-ons, they're going to be switching to a model with um, packages or bundles, something along those lines. So right now they're in the process of basically removing all add-ons from their website. And there's three ways that they're offering to do this. So basically they're getting in touch with all third-party developers who have a, a plugin in, in their on their website. Mm-hmm. And they're offered three solutions. So from the discussion we had with Pippin a couple of days ago now, we had three options to either transfer the plugin to our own personal site or a marketplace such as Code Canyon. So that would mean everything becomes ours. So the extension's ours, the development's ours, support's in our hands, uh, the e-commerce side of things, it's all us. The other option was for EDD themselves to purchase full rights to the plugins for an agreed amount, of course. And this is only done if EDD themselves think that that extension can become a part, a core part of their core plugin. And the final alternative was to discontinue the plugin. Now, this is mainly for those that are non-sellers. So if they're not performing whatsoever, you can choose to discontinue it or do with it what you want. It's an interesting situation because, of course, Pippin has the information right there about how many copies you are selling and, and what's going on. So what happened with, you had what, two or three plugins on, on the EDD marketplace? Three. Three, okay. And 
So what happened? Did they just buy all three off you or, or did they tell you to go to hell? <laughs> no. So they told us that each plugin will be treated separately. So it's not the same, the same thing that applies to all three. So we actually took a different approach on each one. So at the cart pop-up, for example, they saw that could be a part of their core functionality for ADD. So they have actually bought that from us. They've acquired that plugin. It is now completely theirs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we, we agreed the fee and they paid that fee immediately and everything was switched over to them. Checkout message was a different approach. So this is a plugin that is not a non-seller, but it's not very popular and it's not used that much. So rather than just get rid of it, and since we ourselves use it, we decided to take it off EDD. It's no longer premium. And we've now submitted it to the WordPress plugin repo, and it's a free plugin for anyone to download. Oh. And it's basically uh, a plugin to add messages in checkout based on different criteria. That's interesting. And, and so why isn't that something that they wouldn't have added to their own core product? To be honest, I'm not sure. Based on sales, I think they would see that it's not something that's used that often. Mm -hmm. So when it's not used that often, maybe they saw it as additional. They don't really need it themselves. So they didn't really go for it. Sounds to me like that's something where I might very well hesitate to, to pay money for it. But if it was part of the, the actual normal checkout process, yeah, I'd probably use that. I mean, a, a chance to quickly communicate something to your customers. Anyway, what, what sort of stuff would you say to people at checkout anyway? Anything. So, for example, on our WPRSS aggregator website, we use it in various ways. For example, we have add-ons that are not compatible together. So when someone adds them both to the cart at the same time, we add a notice telling them, listen, these two add-ons are not meant to be used together. Are you sure you want to purchase them both at the same time? So that makes them aware of the compatibility issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there are others, for example, where there are three add-ons that make part of a bundle. If someone adds those three add-ons to their cart separately, we tell them, listen, you're buying three add-ons at a, like a high price. If you, you take our bundle, you get a particular discount. Mm -hmm. So things along those lines. Surely you would be smarter to just apply the discount automatically now? We could, but I haven't implemented that. Uh -huh. Okay. And, and what was the third uh, add-on that you had for EDD? So the third add-on is our biggest one. That's bookings. Ah, yeah. It's a booking solution for WordPress and for EDD specifically right now. So this was the biggest decision to make. For simple reason being, it's our biggest plugin and it's currently undergoing complete rewrite. So version 3.0 is being worked on right now and it's a completely brand new plugin, much more flexible and there's much more potential to it in the coming months. Mm -hmm. So this was, I guess, something EDD saw as too big to take on themselves, considering the changes they are making. And it's something we didn't want to get rid of because bookings is something we want to go into. We put our, our heart and soul into this. Uh, we've been going at it for around a year now, um, from absolutely from scratch. So we scratched the older version, left it there, and working on the new one. So it's something we really wanted to, to keep to ourselves. So what we're doing there is we're moving it in the coming weeks to our own website. We're setting up e-commerce on our site. All existing customers will be migrated to our website. Their subscription details, et cetera, everything will come to us. The integration with EDD will not change since EDD are not actually changing anything in their plugin. They're only changing their uh, pricing models. And basically it gives the plugin, gives us complete control over the plugin. So can I ask, I don't know if this is proprietary information, but what, you know, what, what sort of slice were they taking? About 30%? Something like that, I believe, yes. Okay, so roughly the same as Apple. So now as it stands with your existing customers, you're shifting them all over 
they're giving you uh, access to the customer information. I mean, I presume you probably had that before anyway, but you're now getting all the information and you're continuing to charge your customers the, the, the full amount, but you're making more profit. You're basically doubling what you're making. Yeah. So we actually haven't decided exactly which model we're going to be using ourselves now. As before, in a way, we were limited and controlled by EDD as to what we can do. So we had one main plugin, EDD bookings, everything's in it. So now we're discussing uh, different approaches, whether to go with a sort of core bookings plugin with an EDD integration or still keep the same model of just one EDD bookings plugin. Uh, the idea is basically to have a bookings platform that can integrate with various systems in the future if it becomes successful. But yeah, it, it gives us 100% of earnings now. It gives us a direct interaction with the customers so we can understand better exactly how they're using it and what they need. And there's, I guess, faster development as well, because there's no back and forth between our team and EDD's team. So we're free to make certain decisions, and that even makes the developers happier as well, because they can just keep going. When did you hear about this? This was from recording today, so a couple of nights ago. Okay, how, well, what did it feel like? Strange. So this is, was my first experience. Uh, it was also, I guess, I think John's first experience of an acquisition as well. So that was interesting. We knew long-term this was coming from EDD. We knew their plans to move away from the, the add-on model. From Pippin's words himself, it was not planned to happen so quickly, but he'll explain more about that himself. For us, it felt strange at first, but it's promising for us. So it allows us to not focus on so many plugins at once. So our focus isn't fragmented that much. Mm -hmm. So now we can go absolutely, for example, 100% on the bookings. Um, so our focus shifts onto one plugin rather than three. So that helps us there. Um, I think it's a positive feeling right now because even speaking to our developers, they're happy with the decisions. They like the idea that we can control development. So that's a, that's a big plus for us as well. I guess then this, the struggles are more from a business perspective with regards to preparing to handle support. You have to take care of the e-commerce system. There's the logistics of switching customers over. But that's just a small pain point for a few weeks or months, and then things should settle down. So knowing what you know now, would you recommend to somebody that if they want to get started selling, say they make their own plugin, or they, you know, maybe they haven't even made it yet, they're just making plans, would you advise them to look at, you know, going to a marketplace? And actually, are there any, now that EDD is out of the game, how many marketplaces are left? But it isn't exactly a market, it's a marketplace for easy digital downloads. But then there's marketplaces like Code Canyon, where you can have any plugin whatsoever. Yeah. So if someone's building a plugin that is not an extension to anything else and it's a standalone marketplace like Code Canyon can help you out in the beginning to get exposure. Mm -hmm. Though there's so many thousands of plugins now, I, I think that's very hard anyway. If it's going to be an extension, for example, an extension for ADD, it helped us a lot to be integrated with them and to be on their website for the simple reason of exposure. So rather than having to do all the marketing yourself and reach out to their customers yourself through your own site and your own means, you have EDD's backing, you have EDD's support, which they're still offering to us for bookings, which is great as well. So you're reaching out to their customer base right away, immediately, directly, all emails, all messages, everything is there. So it really depends on what you're going to build. If it's going to be a standalone, I would suggest personally going for it for yourself. So setting up your own site, your own e-commerce, everything. Mm -hmm. I don't personally like relying on a marketplace like Code Canyon or with Teams with Team Forest, for example. 
I'm personally not in favor of that for, for me personally. But for someone else, it might be good. If you're a one-man team and you have to handle marketing and everything, being on Code Kenya, et cetera, can actually help you out. So marketplaces have their advantages, particularly if you're a one-man operator. But from what you tell me, your developers, they seem pretty excited at the idea that suddenly a lot of the, res- the restrictions that are in place when you are part of a marketplace, now that those are gone, that has them pretty happy. Is it really that big a deal? Do they really put that many restrictions on you? There aren't that many restrictions. Uh, I guess it's one or two that really affect the direction of our development. So rather than being able to develop for any custom post type to take care of services, for example, you were limited in a way to downloads. So now we might take a different approach. So we set up services in a different way, and then there'd be an integration with EDD for downloads. Mm-hmm. It might cause development to take a bit longer, but as far as I know, it's not that much, but it's worthwhile in the long run. You mentioned that you knew that this was coming, that, that you know, Pippin had told you guys that, you know, the marketplace was on the way out or third-party marketplace was on the way out. Why, what sort of reasons, what are the reasons for that? He just felt it was the wrong economic model. He felt it was too much trouble. You know, I mean, he's making a 30% or whatever on each one that sells. So surely it's a pretty good deal for him. But what's the deal? Is he, is he basically trying to edge third parties out? So what we knew earlier wasn't that, for me personally, it wasn't directly from Pippin. What I knew was that they were purchasing and acquiring certain extensions. So I figured that that's the approach they're going to be taking. Um, so with regards to why they took the decision, Pippin can speak more clearly about this. But what I know for sure is that with the 30%, they have to also handle support. They have to handle administration for commissions and everything that goes into that. Uh, so there's quite a bit of work there. So probably it might have gotten a little overwhelming with regards to support and commissions and everything that was going on. Certain extensions are their own. Certain extensions are third party. Other extensions are third party, not even on their website, but they're not sold by them. So probably they want to focus more on uh, having bundles or packages and maybe it will help their sales as well. Who knows? And what's the deal? When you, when you go now and you want specific fun- functionality, you have to buy a whole bundle of stuff, maybe stuff you don't need. So you end up paying more or does it work out okay? I don't know how the packages or bundles are yet. They're not uh, live on their site. So they're still taking care of, at least at the time of recording of this podcast, they're still taking care of moving third-party extensions away from their site. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll know in the next few days or few weeks, we'll know exactly what they're going to do and they'll update themselves and release... I'm sure people will release a blog post all about it. Uh-huh. So the other big news this week, React. Reactions to React being pulled from WordPress core. Or, uh, so Matt Mullenweg made a blog post saying that for various reasons, mainly to do with Facebook creating a patent around uh, their ownership of React, it will no longer be used in WordPress. And in particular, it won't be used for the upcoming Gutenberg project. And I think they're already using it in Calypso. Is that correct? Yeah, and from what I understood, they're going to be rewriting Calypso completely as well. It's a big project. Uh-huh. What do you think about this? Because you have some experience with Vue, which at the moment is the uh, framework that most people are saying is most likely to, to be used instead of React. Yeah, so for us, when we came to decide what JS framework we're going to use for bookings, because that's where we're using it the most, we looked at what purpose are doing. We saw that they're using React. But to be honest, their decision to use React didn't really influence our decision. We made our own research. We saw exactly what frameworks are available, what their advantages and disadvantages are. We spoke to a few JS developers along the line, and we decided on Vue. Now, the decision 
mainly was based on points from our developers, but also the fact that there's a large community behind Vue, so development is ongoing, and it's quite good to use. And from what I can see so far from a few weeks of JS development so far, it's going very well, and I'm very happy with the progress. With regards to WordPress, it's going to be a massive project to undertake for them. Gutenberg is obviously going to delay the release of the next major version of WordPress now. I believe they mentioned something around a month's time of, of delay, but I don't know how that will go. And uh, Calypso is going to be much bigger. That's a, a complete rewrite for them, so I don't know exactly how that's going to be handled. But from what I understand, the way they built both Gutenberg and Calypso, the framework itself was not agnostic of their code. When I mentioned this announcement to our developers, what they told me in their first reaction was, like, this is why you should always write framework and environment and library agnostic code. Because the switch from React to something else now is very hard, whereas if it was agnostic, it would be uh, a lot easier. So your guys are way smarter than Automatic. No, what I believe <laughs> is that Automatic knows about this. I don't know why they took the decision. Uh -huh. I mean, this isn't something that's new or anything like that. It, it, all developers know about it. Why they took the decision to do it that way, I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't read up on it. From our perspective, we built, we're building EDD Bookings version 3.0 in that way. So we're not tied to Vue. So if in the future something happens, we need to move away from Vue. It's still a lot of work, but it's not as much as if we were that coupled to one framework. From what you say, you did a lot of research into which framework you should use. What were the three things that won it for Vue? And by the way, for listeners not familiar with it, that's spelled uh, V-U-E. Right. So I can't remember exactly from a developer's perspective what the deciding factors were. But for me, just doing my own research into the framework and into the community around it, what I saw that was good was that there's an active community around Vue. Mm -hmm. And there's frameworks being built around it. I'm not exactly sure what the terminology to use here, but some of those, there's TypeScript can be used with it. There's a lot of good things that can go into it. Um, so you can use a lot, a lot of great tools to build your plugin in a much better way. So for me, that was the, ma the main benefit. And seeing the developers happy with it, seeing the new JS developer we got on board also happy with it, and seeing how fast development's moving now and the quality of code being written and the quality of the UI being generated, I'm very happy with this decision. I should mention, by the way, that uh, it's not yet been announced what they're replacing React with. Although, I mean, judging, I mean, it seems pretty obvious. They, they met with the lead developer of Vue, uh, and every single poll that's been done, it's, it's overwhelmingly people are pushing for Vue rather than Ember or, or some other thing. For me, I was very happy because I'm a big fan of Laravel. And... Uh, of course, Vue, it just rocketed up in, in uh, popularity uh, when it was sort of adopted as the, the, the front-end kind of framework for Laravel. I'm curious to see, like politically, it's interesting because right now, a lot of people who get into PHP, they're kind of gravitating towards WordPress because, you know, as you say, it's quite easy to sell plugins. It's quite easy to uh, go work for companies that are already using WordPress. And it seems like the main competitor, in a sense, is Laravel. Now, obviously, I mean, it's great to have lots of different projects working within the PHP sphere. But I'm kind of curious, is that going to create a lot more transition to and from WordPress, from, from and to Laravel? I'm not very familiar with Laravel, so I think you can tell me more about this from your perspective. It's basically the sort of the, 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 the hot thing right now. It's been around for about, I guess, six years, but it's sort of Ruby on Rails, but with PHP instead of Ruby. 
And uh, it's pretty good. It's created by this obsessive detail-oriented guy called Taylor Rotwell. And um, he really, really sweats the details and he's crafted something quite beautiful. It's got an awful lot of uh, buy-in from various people, an awful lot of developer interest. Everybody's gravitated towards it. And so as it stands right now, uh, it seems like most of the interesting stuff that's going on is, is happening within that world. So you think people would switch from WordPress to Laravel? Well, I'm, I'm wondering would they go back and forth? I mean, certainly Vue is a pretty strong bridge between the two. Uh, I mean, essentially, if you, do, if you do Laravel, you absolutely do Vue as well. And by the way, and, and from that community, the word is, is that it's the, the, the really fast learning curve with Vue is, is the really attractive thing. So yeah, I, I can kind of see a situation where the transition might be a little bit easier for people going, deciding. I mean, if you're sitting down and you've been doing WordPress for a while and you've got your hands dirty with Vue, if you're then later looking around to expand outwards a bit and you see that here's this incredibly popular framework that uses Vue as well, it's going to be a no-brainer to jump over to that and hopefully jump back to WordPress as well. But I'm just wondering, does this is this the start of a new sort of symbiosis, a new sort of a new age of uh, transfer between the two projects? It would be interesting to see, but to be honest, I don't think people, the majority of WordPress users from what, from what I see aren't top developers, let's put it that way. Right. So <laughs> I, I don't know whether that, but the majority of users are, are not developers. Mm -hmm. There are people who want to build a website and they get into it and some of them do get into PHP and JS, mm -hmm. but they don't focus on development. So I don't think it would affect it that much. It might affect the... But like the top developers, whether they want to move in the future or not. I think it all depends now on the next step that uh, WordPress takes with regards to the framework and how the rewrites will work and what approaches they're going to take there. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a good thing to see them? I mean, some people are interpreting this as a bit of a diss on Facebook. Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest. I'm not exactly sure how the license issue works. So I, I can't really talk about that. I don't know if it's a diss on Facebook as such. I mean, if it's Facebook decision to change the license and that affected our decision, WordPress's decision on what framework to use, I don't really want to call it a diss. I guess it's, it's in a way, calling them out, maybe saying, listen, you've made this change. It's caused us to move away and us is WordPress. We are 28% or how much of the internet of websites. So like... Your little change made a big impact on us. I wonder though, I mean, my understanding is, is that Facebook took out the, the patent, not because they want to enforce it or go around shaking people down, but as a defensive move. So to, you know, to prevent somebody else coming along and saying, hey, we own this technology that does something similar. So anybody using React must now, you know, pay up. And I kind of wonder, it, it's kind of interesting where if somebody does start doing moves like that, surely Vue might actually be more vulnerable to that sort of shakedown. Because, of course, now Vue without its own patent or, or without Facebook there. Now, now, presumably Facebook's position is, is that they never had any intent, intention of, uh, of enforcing the patent against anybody using it, you know, anybody like WordPress. But perhaps now, you know, in pursuit of license purity, you know, a license unencumbered by any possible patent problems or whatever else, it might actually leave WordPress more vulnerable using Vue, which doesn't have that kind of defensive patent. It could actually be more vulnerable. Does that make sense? Somewhat. So in what way would you see it being vulnerable in the future? Well, if somebody, okay, so say there's somebody comes along and, and buys up a load of patents and decides to go, okay, we're going to go and shake down anybody using, 
and this has happened before with really basic uh, internet technologies or very d- basic web technologies where somebody can come along and they can say your website uses a framework that does this that functionally does this simple thing and it it, it uh, you're using a, a framework we have the patent on that so now because we've forsworn we've foregone the facebook solution which was to get their own patent a sort of defensive patent to to scare away those guys now in the view world we're kind of depending on nobody like that turning up that's true no bad guys turning up yeah oh okay i just thought it was an interesting an interesting thing that uh, in a sense i mean i'm delighted as i said to see them going towards view but i do wonder has this left them more vulnerable yeah it's going to be interesting to see one of the announcements so it's interesting to see his announcement as to which framework they're going to use and the reasons why that's going to be the big the big thing now so react was a while ago well, let's make it. Let's make a bet. Let's make a bet. Let's make a bet. Let's make a bet. Okay. What do you reckon? Okay. What? Well, how sure are you that it's? How much money would you be willing to put down on it being view? <laughs> like, if it was an idea, a situation where they do the research that we that we did and take the the idea and approach that we did, I'd say I'm hundred percent sure they're gonna choose view. But I also saw comments on people mentioning Preact, which I don't know anything about. I guess it's a different version of React. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a backward engineered version. So essentially it does exactly what React does, but you know, legally it's not threatened by their patent. So that can, that can be an easier changeover for them. So I can't even say 100% on you just because of that. But the changeover would be a lot easier if you went from React to Preact mm-hmm. rather than a complete rewrite of view. Okay, but okay. So if you were, are you a betting man by any chance? On sports and nothing else. Okay, well, let's let's see this as a kind of a sport, okay? If I said to you, I will give you odds of, I will say, okay, well, okay, if we're just making a straightforward bet, okay, and I said, would you put down 10 euros? And if it turns out to not be view, you give me the 10 euros. And if it turns out to be view, I give you 12 euros. I give you a two euro profit. Would you take that bet? 10 euro, sure. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so that's a bet then. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding, I'm just kidding. All right. So, Mark, a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, Code Canyon. And uh, it's interesting because I've got a friend here, an 18-year-old girl who is learning to be a web designer. And I was asked to give her a few lessons. And I was sort of trying to give her a good overview of the whole WordPress world. You know, that you get themes from here and you get plugins from here. And this is how you put things together. And what she's aiming for short term is to be able to do a set number of simple skills, simple tasks that will give her customers uh, a basic website with a basic contact form or, or whatever else. And it was interesting to see the effect when I introduced her to Code Canyon and ThemeForest, because whatever way they have that laid out there, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of ThemeForest. And that's probably because I've spent way too much time. I've wasted far too many hours in my life trying to fix ThemeForest themes that did not, they looked great, but they did not work as well as they should. And I don't know, maybe they've improved in, in, in recent years, but I, I've tended to avoid them because of that experience early on. But for her, it was like crack cocaine. The minute that she saw all these themes that you could just buy for $50 or $65 and instantly have a, a, you know, a perfect hotel website, a perfect nail salon website, she was hooked. And it didn't matter what else I showed her. I tried to show her Studio Press. I showed her Mojo. I showed her loads of different things. But for whatever reason, she got really into this. And I'm kind of curious. I'm getting the impression now that these guys really dominate. And uh, you mentioned in particular, you said that um, at the moment, using a marketplace like Code Canyon as a way to get attention 
isn't so great anymore because they have so many thousands of plugins on there that you're really fighting for attention. What do you feel like when you go there and you look around, do you feel, is it an oversaturated market? Is there some really good stuff there? Is it really the best that we could hope for as a marketplace for WordPress? All right. So my experience has been mixed with both Team Forest and Cold Canyon. So I've used teams and plugins from them in the past. Some have been great and have been maintained up to today and support was decent, although not very good. But there's there's so many of them. If you just go for a random one, and I've mentioned these in my own posts on WP Mayor with plugin roundups. Basically, a year down the line or a few months down the line, someone comments, says, hey, listen, do you know this plugin was removed? Do you know this team was removed? Or this plugin has this many errors and this many bugs in it, and this team has so many issues with it. I've seen a lot more of that with Code Canyon and Team Forest things, so anything on Envato, than with, as you mentioned, companies like StudioPress, which are, I guess, more established and more focused on one product, and they provide very good support. It is getting oversaturated, and the quality, I have no idea what sort of vetting they do on it, but I'm not impressed by the overall idea. It's amazing though. It's, it's, uh, this is my first time really trying to teach a millennial. And oh my God, everything they said is true. Millennials are a different species. Uh, when I tried to kind of talk to her about concepts like, you know, having good solid foundations and, you know, maybe uh, having a lot of control and the whole thing of doing your homework, the whole thing of when you see a really shiny plugin or, or theme, go into the comments and find out if people are complaining about not receiving any support or find out what issues people are having. And even search around the web and try to find at least a few examples of people who are successfully using that theme, who've managed to actually set it up so that the thing works. Now, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe at the age of 18, I would have been as impulsive or whatever else. But my read on it is that this company has actually correctly identified the important thing. Yeah, it's a bit like Windows and Mac. There was a time when if you were a Mac user, you did not understand why everybody was buying Windows. Whereas Microsoft understood that people just wanted a quick cheap computer that people didn't really care that much about, uh, you know, the long-term issue of how much time you'd waste with viruses and, and usability issues or whatever else. That at the checkout, people just wanted something that was cheap and seemed to provide everything they needed. Is that, would, would it be fair to say that Invato, the parent company of Code Canyon and, and Themeverse, Invato are sort of the Microsoft of the WordPress world? Hmm. I think they know about, like, Obviously, they know about this idea of like the shiny object syndrome and what that whatnot. Either when you're young or when you're someone who just wants something quick. So WordPress is thought of as the quick and cheaper solution to create a website in many areas. So saying something like this, where something's nineteen dollars, whereas the alternative built by let's say StudioPress is a hundred dollars, they're probably going to opt for this. They see it as a shiny object. They see it. It looks nice. It works nice. In a demo at least. Most of the cases, they can import demo data, for example, for Teams, so they see it even easier. So yeah, I think that is a big issue. For someone who's not experienced with using these plugins and Teams and with using quality ones, quality built ones, they're going to opt for this. So in the, in the beginning, when I used to do roundups with no experience of using top plugins versus the cheaper alternatives, I opted to mention a lot of Team Forest and Cold Canyon. Looking back, when I see how many comments I have and how many plugins and themes I've had to remove from those lists for these reasons, I mean, there's obviously a problem there. So as you said, it's all about education. So if you're going to be looking for themes and plugins, if you're new to the space, 
read the comments, read the reviews, try the demos. Because most of the time, even demos don't even work as they're described. I love that there's, there's something called a shiny object syndrome. That there's an actual syndrome. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder if actually probably the best advice you could give to somebody who's going into making themes or making plugins is actually focus on the shiny object syndrome. Because, you know, as much as, as we admire plugins that are well-made and, and that function superbly and have great support, I mean, I wonder is the truth that if you actually want to make, earn a living and if you actually want to have a successful business, you need to appeal to the shiny. Forget everything else. Just come up with a, uh, a fancy name, come up with a shiny website and, and a, a really alluring price point. And that that's what you need if you want to make it these days as a plugin maker or team setter. Short term, sure. Long term, my belief is no. Uh-huh. Um, short term, you're going to get sales, you're going to get people using your plugin, sure. Long term, support's going to struggle, people are going to move away. We saw this from bookings ourselves. Um, there is a lot of shiny bookings plugins out there. People love them. In the WordPress space, everyone says they're the most popular. Then you start to use them. You start to see all the problems with them. You start to see all the limitations there are. You start to see support slacking. People start to come to us through our contact form, asking us whether we can do something in a certain way because that plugin can't or because that plugin is not supported right or because the developers didn't speak to us in the right way, they were rude or whatever, and didn't even reply. <laughs> so, so short term, it's going to work, sure. But if you want to maintain something, build it right, support it right, and have a plan for the future, for years to come, not a few months. If you want to make a quick buck, sure, go ahead and do it. But this is very idealistic, and that's wonderful. I mean, I applaud the sentiment. But uh, what would you say is roughly, what's the average level of support that's out there in the real world, not just in your head? From my experience, it's below average, way below average. Well, okay, well, 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 I mean, technically, the, the general level of support out there has to be exactly the average. But what you're saying is, is that the, the average is pretty damn bad, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, and, and, and what would you say typically is happening? Is it just that people just aren't good at support? I mean, I, I sometimes actually, I, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, I had a good discussion with Sean about, I was thinking about doing an online service. And uh, he said to me, he said, Donica, just... Forget it, because the support is going to kill you. The support for this particular complex thing that I wanted to do. He said, pick something easier because the support is going to take up all of your time and you're going to want to tear your eyeballs out. And he, he said that he said a good third of your time can get taken up with all this stuff. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Right. So for you guys, you guys know that. And, you know, you already have one successful plugin, RSS Aggregator. And yet here you are now, the, the one that you're putting the most work into is the, your new bookings thing, EDD bookings, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's super complicated. I mean, bookings are always complicated, not even just because of the code, but because people's needs, the kind of businesses that people are trying to set up uh, revolving around bookings are also incredibly complex. So how is it, knowing what you know about support needs, how is it that you're going into doing a bookings plugin? Surely that's insane. You can call it insane, sure. <laughs> Uh, we made a research on all the markets there. With regards to support, it's true. It's probably going to be a headache just because of the variety of use cases. We already have a version of our plugin out there, and already the feedback we got over over the past couple of years or so has been so vastly different. It's incredible. What we're trying to do from now, from a development perspective, to counteract that is to build a plugin in a very modular way and in a very flexible way. So... If it comes need for a customization, 
which the majority usually need in some form or another, it's a lot easier for any developer to customize our plugin for their needs in any, any aspect of it. We're going to start off, obviously, handling support ourselves internally until um, the plugin grows and we see how that grows. In the future, we might do what we do with Aggregator, which is handle support internally. But if there's customizations, we go to other sources such as Codable or WPmatic. So we refer customers to them. We have forms on our own site for that, and they can get the customization through that. Right. Okay. So, so what you're doing is you're developing a strategy to handle the support, and it involves handling a certain amount of stuff internally. But where people have customized or where people have gone off the, the set menu, that then they have to go off and pay a separate body for the support that they need. Yeah, it depends, obviously, on, on the level of customization. If it's something small, something that can be used by multiple users, we usually find a way to add it to our documentation. So we work on it ourselves. We create a filter, for example, and we add it to our documentation. We have a lot of filters there. If it's something that one person requested, maybe two people requested, and it's a rare case, in that case, yeah, we tell them, listen, this is not part of our plugin. We don't plan on including this in the near future. We suggest going over to someone like Codable or WPmatic and asking them for their development skills. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky thing. I've got a friend who, um, well, he was kind of curious about using a, another booking plugin, like a, a really big one. It's kind of a Joomla-based mainly one called uh, Jamras. And he wanted to get a very specific thing done, but it was a hell of a big job. And I think the, the developer of it was willing to do the job for, I don't know, maybe 10 grand or something like that. But the catch was this, was that because this was an open source project, if he took on the job and spent a couple of weeks doing it and got paid the 10 grand, all of the work would then be open sourced and would be made available to all this guy's competitors as well, right? And so that was an interesting situation where customization in that context, where uh, anybody can come in and say, here, I'll pay you to do this. But as soon as you pay them to do it, now, obviously, this was a really super big job. You know, it wouldn't be kind of WordPress level. But um, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. The customization could cost that much. I've consulted with someone on bookings, with uh, someone who works with WooCommerce bookings. I won't mention the amounts or what the projects were, but they are bigger than that for what can be considered. But they're not small customizations, but if companies are big enough and willing to pay the amount, you can charge exorbitant amounts of money. Wow, really? And the, the demand is there. And if it's a booking solution that's going to improve your business by so much, and you have such a big business and you're selling, for, you're selling your services for so much higher than what the cost is going to be, then it absolutely makes sense. So in a sense, uh, maybe a good move for somebody who wants to make a living out of uh, WordPress isn't to create your own plugin, but to tack yourself onto an existing plugin, a nice, complex, complicated plugin. Uh, that has a user base of users who make money from it and who have widely differing needs and some of whom will, will desperately require features that the developers of the plugin are never going to get around to doing because they're too niche. So if you're a developer and you can actually identify that, say, for instance, with a bookings plugin, maybe people need channel management or they need something, you know, some fairly complex uh, but contained feature set, that you could actually go around and make your 10 grand, 20 grand, whatever, catering to specific customers. Is that a valid, is that what, are people doing that? Yeah, they are. If you have the skill level to do it, yeah, you need to have the skill level to do it. But if you do, it's a viable solution and you have potential to make a lot of money off it. Because if you find the right clients, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I was just wondering. So, so from your point of view, as somebody project managing, or or you know, uh, from from the point of view of the owner of a plugin, if some bright kid came along to you and said, "Hey, look, I have been all over your code. I really understand it. I've been customizing the hell out of it just for fun, and I now I'm ready to serve any needs." That anybody has. If you have any big, you know, customers coming along who come to you and say, "Look, we really want to use your plugin, but we need this customization," would you be willing to refer them to me as a client? Yeah, I mean, if you had a kid coming to you and asking that, mm-hmm. would you would you look at that favorably? Would that be a good thing, or would you be inclined to say, "Ah, uh, you know, big paying customers, we'd rather do the customizations ourselves." At that point, it depends on how big our, our company is and how successful the plugin is. So, if we're doing well but we don't have the time, the resources, or the money to spend on doing these customizations ourselves, then yes, I'd strongly consider something like that. If we're big enough to handle customizations ourselves internally, or maybe even hiring this individual ourselves, then we'll, we'll go with that approach. So it's definitely a, vi- a viable uh, route for anyone who wants to get into the space. That's interesting what you said there. So, so if a, a kid came along, an option that might actually be on your mind would be, how can we hire this kid? Yeah, sure. If he fits into the team, obviously, and he's uh, got the necessary skills and he knows he's already familiar with the plugins already past that step and we're looking to expanding ourselves, then yeah, we consider it. It's actually, to, to, to bring this up, it's a very similar way as to how Anton, our lead developer, came on to our WPRSS aggregator project. He was actually a customer who came to Jean requesting some sort of customization or reporting a bug, I forgot exactly what it was. And discussions flowed, and eventually he became developer on the plugin and the lead developer of the project. <laughs> that, that's kind of frightening that you could, uh, you know, just be really angry and want to complain about a bug and whatever. <laughs> and then suddenly next thing you know, you wake up and you're working for the damn company. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Mark, I think that about wraps it up for this, uh, this week. Uh, we, we've covered a, a fair bit of stuff, but I believe that we have a, a very interesting program coming up quite soon where somebody who's actually running a marketplace is going to give us the inside dirt. What's good? What's bad? What are the pitfalls? What are the advantages? And I've got a feeling that's going to be very interesting given what we've covered today. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be something I'm going to be listening to very intently given the situation we're in with bookings. So I want to see exactly what approach they took and why they took it and the benefits they have now, how it's impacting them positively and negatively now down the line. So I'm looking forward to it. And for the first time in podcast history, for that particular upcoming episode, all the participants will be entirely naked. (laughs) So uh, folks, you don't want to miss that. Okay. Just be sure to tune in. That's going to be what, next week? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Good talking to you, Mark. Likewise, Danica. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at Mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at Mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.